This is the podcast Science and Scriptures, Season 2, Episode 13, or The Most Important Question of Life, What Do You Want? Hello, everyone. This is Scott Fraser, your host of the podcast Science and Scriptures. We are celebrating the beginning of a new year. Generally, the first weeks of a new year are a good time to reflect on your life and decide if you should change any part of it. After all, New Year's resolutions are simply a form of repentance. What did I do last year that I want to do more of this year? With this episode, I would like to help you consider that question. So I am going to ask you what I deem, and the following words are capitalized, the most important question of life. It is a question we all must answer, not just once, but every day of our lives. Don't be disappointed, but the most important question of your life is, what do you want? In the 2004 movie, The Notebook, two teenagers, Noah and Allie, have a summer romance in Seabrook, South Carolina. Noah works at a lumber mill, so Allie's rich and controlling parents send her off to college at the end of summer and even intercept her letters from Noah. Both go on with their lives but are obviously not over one another. Allie then gets engaged to Lon, a rich and handsome young man. But Allie feels conflicted and goes to Seabrook to visit Noah before the wedding. This rekindles the romance, of course. When Lon appears in Seabrook, the stage is set. Allie cannot choose between the two suitors. She loves them both. During his inevitable argument with Allie, Noah demands to know, What do you want? He asks that question four times in a row. Allie makes her choice and she chooses Noah. She had arrived at a point where she had to choose. But you have to give credit to Noah. He asks the right question. The question, what do you want, slices through all the justifications, excuses, and complaints of an indecisive person. As the saying goes, the question cuts to the chase. What do you want? In the fantasy movie series Pirates of the Caribbean, Captain Jack Sparrow, played by Johnny Depp, owns a compass which does not point north. It points in the direction of whatever its owner wants most. I wish I'd had that compass during my life. It would have been deeply reassuring to learn what a magical compass thinks I want most, because I have spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. The question, what do you want, takes everything about the person you are, your pre-existent spirit, your genetics, your childhood, your education, and the personality you have developed, and boils it all down to one simple question. When faced with the question, I have seen people argue, deny the need to decide, waver, or simply refuse to answer usually by stating, I don't know. Strange, isn't it? Because you are the only person in the world who can possibly answer the question, what do you want? In the Netflix TV show Lucifer, Satan comes to earth on a vacation from hell. In this series, Lucifer has only one power over normal people. If he asks someone the question, what do you most desire in life? The person is compelled to answer. The answer reveals the true nature of the person being questioned. Given that the Lucifer of this television series has only one power, the network chose an interesting one to give him. We live in a day and time when whatever you want is more easily available than ever. If you want to go to a foreign country, you can book a flight. If you want to buy something, log on to Amazon.com and order it for next day delivery. Granted, your financial situation may limit what you can purchase, but you are better off than most everyone that lived just 100 years ago. Two of the biggest such what-do-you-want questions in life are what career do you want to pursue and who do you want to marry? 
I don't think I ever really answered the career question. In college, I found I had a knack for understanding chemistry. Due to a few good teachers, I was shown how chemistry is an interesting and well-organized science. Most of my classmates hated chemistry class, so I concluded that there must be job openings in the field. So, I went into chemistry. Like a small stream running down a mountain, I simply followed the path of least resistance. There was never a flash of inspiration or moment of insight for me. Sometimes decisions go that way. The question, who do you want to marry, is just as important. As portrayed in the movie The Notebook, this choice can be difficult. It's a big decision, with long-term consequences if you get it wrong. In days past, marriages were arranged by the parents of the two young people. There was some merit to this system, by the way. Parents based their decision on economic status and the ability of the two young people to support one another. The emotion of love, certainly a complicating and ill-defined concept, was taken out of the equation. To decide who to marry, you must have insight into not only your desires, but into the desires of the person you wish to marry. I have my own definition of love. If you love someone, you are more concerned for their happiness than you are for your own. You need to be sure you want to make that kind of commitment. Again, what do you want? In 1943, psychologist Abraham Maslow developed the theory of human motivation, which came to be called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. The original five principles are often depicted as a pyramid, since you must fulfill the lower, most basic needs first and build from there. To answer the question, what do you want, we should consider these needs. Number one physiological needs. Air, food, drink, warmth, sleep, etc. This makes sense, of course. If you haven't eaten for a day, you can think about little else besides fulfilling that need. Number two, safety needs. A home and a protection from the elements. Security, freedom from fear. Number three, needs of love and belonging. One might call these social needs. Simply put, you don't want to be alone. You want friendship, intimacy, and acceptance into a group, be that a family, friends, a church, or work colleagues. Number four, self-esteem needs, such as attaining dignity and achievement in your own eyes and in those of other people. You want to feel that you matter. Number five, self-actualization needs, realizing personal potential, self-fulfillment, seeking personal growth and peak experiences, a desire to become everything you are capable of becoming, Non-religious people accept self-actualization as the pinnacle of success. Later, Maslow added a couple of other needs. One of these was the need to transcend the personal self, which was his description of developing a spiritual side of life and building religious faith in a higher power. This hierarchy of needs pyramid often controls your answer to what do you want. If your job, salary, and ability to put food on the table are threatened, then what you want most becomes obvious. If you are evicted from your home, you must tend to the need for shelter before you can think about anything else. If you are all alone in the world and don't have a social group, then you should seek one out. Mankind is a social species. We need friends. Maslow later explained that only the first three needs, physiological, shelter, and belonging, are necessary for survival. Building self-esteem and self-actualization, including developing your spiritual self, can be worked on at the same time or not worked on at all. Many people are perfectly happy after accomplishing the first three needs, finding no motivation to achieve the others. These people live to work and then party with their friends. 
give them food, shelter, and companions, and they feel no need to look for more. It is their life to live, of course, but these people are missing out on some of the most beautiful things in life. Once you are well-fed, sheltered from the elements, and have friends, your mind can and should turn towards accomplishing the higher tasks on the pyramid. Some people choose to work on one of Maslow's needs to the exclusion of all others. For example, many ambitious people will choose to work long hours at their jobs, seeking recognition, promotions, and other boosts to their self-esteem. Others will seek happiness and self-actualization by pursuing a hobby or activity with focused intensity, willing to spend any amount of money and time on their interest. Their entire identity becomes wrapped up in their one passion. This reflects who they see themselves to be, a single aspect of life for which they want to be recognized. Parents are very often wrapped up in their family lives, which is appropriate during the family years. But some parents feel the need to keep their children constantly entertained and occupied. They identify themselves as being very focused, single-minded parents. Parenting young children does take a lot of time, but it need not take all of a parent's time. Date your spouse. Go to a museum. When your children leave the house, and they will, have something left to turn to as you become empty nester parents. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a multi-level pyramid, and if it teaches us nothing else, we should understand that life can be filled with a variety of pursuits and interests, from breathing and eating to seeking for God's Spirit in our lives. Sadly, but predictably, the need for a spiritual life is at the very top of the pyramid. By Maslow's model, you have time for spirituality only when all the other aspects of your life are fulfilled. This often turns out to be a precarious position for a spiritual life. A job loss, a health issue, or a family problem is often enough to dislodge one's spiritual life completely off the pyramid. The more pressing needs at the bottom of the pyramid take all your time. I have known many faithful church members who, when an unexpected job loss, a divorce, or health issue occurred, stopped attending church altogether. Apparently, they did not believe that the church, their bishop, or ward members could actually help them get through the crisis. Dealing with job or family issues should not mean taking a break from church activity. Those who do are just cutting a lifeline. The answer to the what-do-you-want question is certainly influenced by your genetics, your personality, and your spiritual experiences. The list goes on and on, but the answer to the question is largely influenced by your freedom of choice. Your genetics and history only partially influence you. Every day, you have the freedom to remain the person you are, or you can try to scale up the pyramid a bit. The answer to what do you want can only change if you choose to change it. Now at this point, you may be expecting me to launch into an if you want it, you can obtain it speech. But this is not a self-help podcast, though there are hundreds of those to choose from. I just want you to evaluate your answer to the question. What do you want and why do you want it? Personally, during my career, I desperately wanted to get a new job many times. My self-esteem, need number four, was taking some real hits being in those jobs. But the need to continue to put food on the table in a house that protected my family, which are needs number one and number two, were a higher priority. So I stayed in my lame job until I was finally able to secure a better job elsewhere. What you want and what you can have at the moment don't necessarily have to match. But if your priorities include a spiritual life, then you can have that along with everything else life has to offer. My Uncle Rex was a no-nonsense career army man. He was a Vietnam vet, 
and was awarded the Purple Heart when he came too close to an enemy bomb. He retired as a lieutenant colonel. Then he became a devout, born-again Christian and dedicated his life to teaching the gospel through the Bethel program. He wasn't happy with me joining the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or with me going on my mission, but he respected my decision. He lives several states away, so I didn't get to see him very often. In one of our rare conversations late into the night at the home of my parents, we talked about the plan of salvation. I asked him, what do you want out of life, Uncle Rex? Everything, he said, with that intense army officer glare of his. I want everything the Lord will provide me in this life and the next, and I will do everything necessary to deserve those blessings. What a great answer. To be clear, when my Uncle Rex said everything, he was not talking about material possessions. He did not want a bigger house, a new car, or more clothes. He wanted the most important things in life, a spiritual relationship with God, an understanding of the gospel, and a charitable approach to life. Uncle Rex died many years ago. He was a good man, and he had found some of the answers to his quest. I expect to see him again in the next life, and we can talk about finding the answers to the rest of his questions. Many of my listeners may now be thinking, well, that's all well and good, and I should be pursuing the higher things in life, but I am too busy. I fully realize that most all of us have packed our lives with so many pastimes that we have no time for anything else. So no, I'm not going to call you to repentance for your busy lives. I understand. Over the years, I have developed a healthy respect for the scripture in Ecclesiastes, which says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. There will come a day when you will have more time. Until then, I would like to suggest that you try out a concept called finding the ethereal moments. These are moments because most people don't have time for anything that lasts longer than a few seconds. So here we go. What are ethereal moments and why should you want them? Ethereal moments. Something ethereal is defined as extremely delicate and light in a way that seems too perfect for this world. To have an ethereal moment, you must feel that you have stepped out of the world for a few seconds. Ethereal moments are rare, but they can occur at any time. For example, as you read your scriptures, you should be searching for epiphanies, such as a scripture that strikes a chord with you. It might comfort you, or it might give you a new perspective on how to address a problem. We generally think this is the Spirit, and perhaps it is. But it could be just you, recognizing in good literature a concept that resonates with you or sheds light on a problem you're having. An ethereal moment can occur in the simplest of tasks. You may be hanging a picture on the wall and realize it's perfect. Don't move it up or down, right or left. It's perfect right there. It may be a moment during your meditation and self-introspection when you realize something about yourself that you've never recognized before. It may come at a moment when you are looking at your spouse and, with unexpected magnitude, realize how precious she or he is to you. Ethereal moments often include feelings of gratitude. They often feel spiritual, so much so that people often confuse an ethereal moment with spiritual witness. They are similar, but they're not identical. For each of Maslow's steps in this hierarchy, I'm going to suggest a possible ethereal moment so you can get an idea of what I'm talking about. Number one, physiological needs. Have you ever taken a bite of ice cream and wondered how you could have forgotten how good mint chocolate chip tastes? Number two, safety. 
Have you ever snuggled under a soft, warm blanket and felt pure gratitude that you were safe at home, away from the maddening crowd? Number three, love and belonging. Have you ever observed your family playing together and consciously committed the scene to your long-term memory, knowing this beloved time would pass? Number four, self-esteem. Have you yet had the opportunity to see your daughter graduate high school and think, wow, what a fantastic young lady we have raised? Number five, self-actualization. At the end of a good day, do you stop and realize just how good a day it really was? Is there something you did today that improved the person you are, that made you more knowledgeable, more fit, or more at peace with yourself? Number six, our need to transcend the world. These are the moments that you pull yourself away from the day's responsibilities and commune with God. This can be done through meditation or prayer, which are not the same thing, by the way. I suggest looking for these moments in your unhurried, quieter moments, when your kids are in bed and your day is about done. So in the midst of your busy days, I'm going to suggest that one of the answers to the question, what do you want, should be to find more ethereal moments. Temporal life is very clingy. It is hard to pull yourself out of its clutches. But if you can find more ethereal moments in your temporal life and more spiritual moments in your spiritual life, you can be a happier and more fulfilled person. A few other hints about ethereal moments, based on my own experience and opinion, of course. Number one, classical music, which is written to inspire, can help you find ethereal moments. I don't believe you'll ever find ethereal moments while listening to rap music. Number two, ethereal moments don't like noisy environments. If you own a large and loud pickup truck, you probably won't find many ethereal moments as you are driving it. Number three, You will find that your body can be a hindrance to your mind in finding beauty and uncovering ethereal moments. If you are enduring hard workouts, sick, or just exhausted from the long day, it's hard to find the clarity and peace of mind to find an ethereal moment. Number four, you won't find ethereal moments when considering your material possessions. Self-satisfaction is not the same thing as self-realization. Actually, you answer the question, what do I want every day? as you go up and down Maslow's hierarchy of needs. When you are hungry, you find yourself at the bottom of the pyramid, simply looking through your kitchen shelves for something to eat. When your family is hungry, you will find yourself at level three, providing food for the family that gives you love and belonging. When you read a good book, you have achieved level five, developing yourself and gaining knowledge. Lastly, when you attend church, read scriptures, or pray, you can achieve the highest point of Maslow's pyramid, You are transcending this temporal life and reaching for understanding of the gospel and communication with God. God has commanded that we dedicate the first day of the week to this pursuit. There is no higher purpose to which you can give your time. Asking the question, what do I want out of life, is a good start to introspection. Figuring out how to find more ethereal moments in your temporal life is a good step in that direction. Then finding time for spiritual pursuits is just as essential. If your answer to the question, what do you want out of life, is everything it has to offer, then I encourage you to understand your personal hierarchy of needs and keep pushing yourself towards the top of that pyramid. May God bless you in this new year, and may you be able to answer the question, what do I want? That is all I have for you today. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you want this year to be a little bit better than last year, I propose that you start by asking yourself, what you can reasonably expect to achieve each day of the year. It can be a difficult question, but hopefully you can find the ethereal moment of self-realization you are seeking. 
I'm hoping this year will be a good one for the podcast, and you can help. If you know someone who might benefit from looking for more ethereal moments in their life, please consider sharing this episode with them. This is Scott Fraser from the podcast Science and Scriptures. Take care and have a good week.